Hey, this is Harpo the Healer. Welcome to the Harping with Harpo series. This is our 18th podcast. And today we're discussing what became known as the race to be the first to the South Pole in the early part of the 20th century. Don't forget to check back on all other pods, each one a fascinating entity in itself. The podcasts are free and a supplement to Harpo the Healer on YouTube. You may want to consider helping support the pods. And channel, you'll find a link on Harpo the Healer YouTube. Encourage us to do more and drive us forward. This podcast was made on the 11th of November 2021 with RJ, who's a friend of mine. These are all long-distance recordings via internet technology. Hey, RJ, how's it going today? Yeah, it's going fine, Mr. Harpo. How are you? Yeah, good. Well, today we're going to do what eventually was termed as the race to the South Pole at the uh, early part of the uh, 20th century. And Antarctica, well, yeah. this, I don't know, vast, frozen, silent, empty desolate and maybe i could add to that hugely dangerous place yeah um, oh, and, horrible uh, place. probably the most inhospitable place on planet earth i don't know i would have thought so yeah i've Sounds been like there it. not lately and yeah and um they've got an ice station now down there since 1956 but before that only uh, it's only been visited to the south pole three times once was on december 14 1911 second was 34 days later January 17th, uh, 1912. Oh, sorry, the, the, the December 14th was 1911. Second time was uh, 1912, 17th of January. And the third time was November 29th, 1929, where a guy, Richard, uh, his last name was Bird of all things, he flew mm. over it in a plane. But uh, those that's the only times it's been visited until 19, 1956. Now, I know you're going to do Captain Scott's uh, exploits, aren't you? Well, I can do. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. I'll just do, do a little. I'll yeah, just go through uh, just a little bit of background um, to this because what probably the listeners, a lot of you will probably know, is Antarctica. Uh, you know, millions of years ago, it kind of broke away from Australia when all the continents were breaking mm. up, mm. and then something like about forty million years ago, it went into deep freeze and it's total darkness six months a year, very little sunlight, and when the sun does go down, it um, it's at such a low angle that uh, it doesn't provide a lot of heat. So it's no. uh, basically the coldest place on planet Earth. Oof, and in the wintertime, yeah. we're talking minus 50s, minus 60s C, you know, really very cold. A human being yeah. can't survive in that. Yeah, once we start getting down to 40 degrees below, but certainly 50 degrees C below, and we're starting to get water freezing in under a minute, and um, it's getting really bad now, and fingers can bond uh, instantly to metal. So it's really not conditions you want to be in at all. No. And, um, and so for any Antarctic explorer, you're going to have to go in the summer, which would be November through to March. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any other time you're in big, you're in big trouble. And they've got yeah. an ice sheet between one and three miles thick, mm. seven million cubic miles of ice. Wow. And uh, this thickness of ice covers everything but the uh, Antarctic uh, coastal areas and the mountaintop. And in the winter time, the ocean around uh, Antarctica freezes and it expands the landmass by 100%. Oh, right. So when you think that Antarctica is the size of Australia and then it uh, expands to double its size in the winter. Mm, so mm. it's a absolutely terrible place. And a feature, it's his icebergs, result of a constant downhill flow of glaciers, uh, huge giant slabs that fall into the sea from the glaciers. Some of them can be size of our, one of our counties or possibly a small country. And uh, then they sort of drift north and they can melt and take up to about four years. Right. Horrendous. Yeah. yeah. But, the one thing from our studies, I don't know what you've noticed, RJ, but there is one thing from these studies that I found is that it's the most 
obvious obvious sign that scientists can find out about global warming is just simply go to either the north or not they go to the arctic or the antarctic and just yeah. check the measurements and that's it it's yeah that's what that. they do isn't it they, yeah, yeah that's they do that yeah i mean an example of which Recently, I saw a small documentary or a report by a BBC correspondent. I think his name's David Shookman, a very well-respected guy, worked for the BBC for many years. And he was in the, in the Arctic, in the north, actually. And he was stood on this, uh, this snow, on this ice, and he was pointing behind him about, uh, I don't know, about 12, 15 metres away to some... Um, and the height of this, this area was about uh, 2 metres, 3 metres. And he actually said that when he'd visited the place in 2004, the height of it was 100 metres higher. And I actually went over the video several times to make sure he said 100. 100 metres. It had lost 100 metres in height since 2004. And so if that's not uh, an indication of global warming, then I don't know what is. And so basically... Um... Really, nobody had been down there, but in the early 19th century, the sealers and the fur traders and the whalers, they were all down there. They were right, keeping yeah. it furtive and secretive because they didn't mm. want anybody to know. So probably two-thirds of those um, Antarctic islands around there were already been discovered by the uh, the business guys. But mm. uh, they keep it quiet because they don't, yeah. they don't want anybody to know. And no, literally, they're not moving out of there until they've almost got that part of the world to extinction and then they move to a different hunting ground yeah so, yeah, typical, um, isn't it? yeah so it's not until 1895 then we got this markham who was then the uh, geographical uh, president of the geographical society was tasked from congress or whatever with trying to get an expedition together to go to uh, the south pole and mm. uh, it was british this guy markham so he thought well we'll have to have a british guy so he seeks out um, he seeks out this guy uh, Scott, Captain Scott, who was, um, as you'll go through in a little while, this uh, naval commander, nothing too notable of his naval work, but he's full of ambition. Anyway, mm. he starts with an exploration to the South Pole. So what we just need to do just before you go on to that, RJ, is just very quickly go through the fact that um, Markham picks this guy, Robert Falcon Scott, and... Um, as I said, he's, he's, he's a keen guy, no polar experience, but they, they shove him in charge. And in 1901, with a fanfare and all the things waving and the king and all that, he goes off with a party down to the South Pole. Now, I'm going to just cut all this short because uh, basically, basically on November the 2nd, he pushes out for the pole the first time with friend um, uh, Wilson, the doctor who was a, a, a naturist, a naturalist, naturist, a naturalist. If it was right. a naturist, no wonder they failed. <laughs> You're going to count that off, yeah. He, he set out for the pole with his sledge. He lasted about three, died on route, you know. <laughs> Two seconds, yeah. Naturalist. And, um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the other guy, who was he with? Um, three of them, Shackleton, who was oh, a right, very yeah. charismatic and uh, very yeah. completely different character to... Um, Mm-hmm. to Scott and they were poles apart as uh, forgive the pun right, but, yeah. uh, so basically and uh, they got down there but uh, they they didn't make it and the average temperature this time was about uh, minus 70F which is about 21C it's about uh, what they'd be okay for this anyway the, uh, the location is obviously 90 degrees south uh, that's the location but um, one thing or another the dogs that they took with them they didn't uh, get trained up on handling them properly they couldn't handle them properly and um, they fed them on the wrong food 
and basically the dogs just became useless and um, Scott from there on didn't think that dogs were a, a good thing at all and anyway um, they full of scurvy and illness and all the rest of it on by the t uh, December 30th at uh, 82 degrees 16 minutes south uh, just less than, less than halfway really they were um, turning round terribly out of shape really bad and they had to come back and Shackleton was very ill on the way back. Uh, he was the one that suffered the most. Got the sort of Scott with his character. Shackleton, a completely different sort of character. And they didn't, uh, they weren't really on speaking terms. They, they get back. Shackleton was in a pretty bad state, actually, with scurvy and a lot of other things. And as a consequence, uh, and they're falling out, um, they did actually get back. But um, they, they lost a lot of dogs and their, their handling of the dogs, they didn't, they, they didn't learn anything from it. Uh, and they were just manhauling, really, the sledge. They finally uh, got back on the 3rd of February, 1903. And that was a bit of a catastrophe. Um, and they were feeding the dogs on the wrong food and all the rest of it. And so, and he sends, uh, eventually sends uh, Shackleton back on the release ship. And he was gutted where um, Scott stays in Antarctica uh, for a long while longer doing his scientific experiments and left there in... Uh, 1904 went back to do some of his naval career for six months mm, yeah so, uh, a little bit later on i can't find the actual date it was either seven or eight shackleton comes back on his own returned on his expedition nimrod expedition 1907 to 1909 and himself and three companions established a a new record uh, furthest south latitude at 88 degrees south only 97 geographical miles or uh, 112 static miles from the South Pole, uh, the largest advance to the pole in exploration history, and also members of his team had climbed Mount uh, Erebus, the most uh, active Antarctic volcano. And for these achievements, Shackleton was knighted by uh, who would it have been then? King Edward uh, would be the seventh, wouldn't it? King Edward the seventh on his return home. Uh, there isn't too much innovation, but uh, one thing that uh, Shackleton did that hadn't been done before, he, he brought um, Siberian ponies. They weren't very good, actually, and um, they weren't as um, effective as he thought they would be, and it uh, didn't didn't work out that way at all. But um, whether Scott knew that or not, I don't know, but he um, actually uh, did exactly the same thing, and he brought Siberian ponies as well. It beats Scott's last record by 29 days, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, And I think our man Scott's waiting, basically, to uh, see whether Shackleton makes it or not. Mm, well, mm. Shackleton doesn't make it, so that's the green light for Scott. But maybe <clears> you can go into more about all about Scott now and tell us. Yeah, well, that's interesting, isn't it? Actual, like, that's the, great. The, what we call the the race to the South Pole. This is the big thing that we're we're going to yeah. get to. I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? When you think about it, it's quite an interesting background there. When at that time they're all looking to sort of compete against each other. They could have worked together a little bit more, but obviously there's pride and there's sort of class involved. There's lots of things we'll probably discuss later. Yeah, I think, as I you, think say, you hit the nail on the head there with the class thing. Yeah. Yeah, they're kind of like quite keen. But as you sort of say, so the, the main one that actually became the iconic story for Captain Scott was his expedition in between 1910 and 1913. And that kind of... It was a British Antarctic expedition, but it's actually called after the boat that they commissioned. We bought, actually, I think he bought the boat. It's called Terra Nova. So people yeah. might know it that. They call it, they call it the Terra Nova expedition. Yeah. And um, basically, it was led by this Captain Robert Falcon Scott. He's got a fantastic name, Falcon. 
middle name. Yeah. I like that. He's destined for something. He is, yeah, with the name Mark Falcon. You yeah. can't go wrong, can you? <laughs> I was thinking of, you know, if I name my kid a buzzard or something. Uh, anyway, that's brilliant. Yeah, so he. Have, you don't get people called John Blackbird Smith, do you? So, no. you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, you we could <laughs> we get that, though, wouldn't it? Yeah. I wonder why he was called Falcon. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. interesting. But um, to basically yeah, like the objective. American Indians, you know, like sort of yeah. uh, sitting bull and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it could go back to that. Yeah. So anyway, the the it's quite serious. These guys are quite serious, aren't they? They take their work really seriously. These expeditions, even yes. though they're all kind of private enterprises, aren't they? They're like it's a bit like the Elon Musk's of the day, aren't they? Where they're going to go right, we're going to go to Mars, and I'm going to get all the money myself. So, but they have to kind of get all the money together, don't they? This is a private. Yes, I heard that. I mean, I'm going to talk about Amundsen after you've finished, and and uh, yeah. just like you're talking about Scott. They both are spending most of their lives trying to get the money together. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fundraising. So it's not like a government like sponsored thing, like we're going to kind yeah. of rally. And but yet it, the government takes the credit if they do yeah. well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's weird. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? But so the way they get money is presumably one of the ways is you sort of carry out scientific and well, this is what they did on this expedition. The objectives are generally scientific and geographical kind of experiments. Yeah. And that's how they probably get money from all these professional or like scientific bodies. That sort of, so if, you can, if you're going to go out there, can you grab some stones for us or can you get some ice, you know, bring yeah. it back? We'll have well, a look at it. And it's all interesting stuff. And there's fantastic sort of scientific uh, aspects that they explored, which is interesting because that actually, I think, embodies the, the actual mindset of Scott it's all based on like being really scientific yeah and yet because as you say well they have had experience of this place but then there's also aspects of it that you think is just like why did they not anticipate that if they're so, so scientifically minded so thinking like this is we're going to do this and uh this could be a problem but maybe they haven't quite experienced the real extremes of what the south the antarctic can throw at them but anyway they reach they so that it's as I said, between 1910 and 1913 and so their aim is to as well as these scientific and geographical objectives they they got their aim is to get to the south pole the first as you said there's been two failed expeditions yes. this is where they think they want that glory the glory hunting i think in the back of his mind he's going i'll be the first to get there and in fact um, yeah, they actually call the age don't they it became known as the age of the heroic you know the heroic yeah. age Absolutely, yeah. We could probably talk about that as yeah. as like this mindset because this is this is because probably a lot of people know the story generally. Beyond all the detail of the actual explorer expedition, they they actually get to the South Pole on the seventeenth of January, nineteen twelve. Scott and four of his companions actually reached the South Pole, which is a fantastic achievement in itself. On the seventeenth of January, nineteen twelve, only to find. There's a Norwegian flag sitting there and they find another explorer who you'll talk about as well in more detail. Royal Amundsen, Raoul Amundsen, his name is, um, got there on the 12th, oh, the 14th of December, 1911. So 34 days mm. previously. And I suppose uh, the first significant thing we, about Scott was that copied Shackleton in the fact that Shackleton had a, an innovation. Not, none of the Brits seemed to have too much innovation, but Shackleton no. had, because he took some Siberian ponies. 
Mm. Um, and they That's didn't right. do very That's well. Correct. But then yeah. Scott doesn't know that, or he doesn't. But he doesn't. He take. He takes ponies. Well, he takes nineteen. Oh, Scott. Well, Scott takes nineteen Siberian ponies and um, thirty-four dogs. He's got thirty-four. All right, dogs. so he's got dogs this time as well. But he didn't he's get on with dogs. them, did he? And he's actually got three motorized sledges as well. Back in the day, obviously, he might be a modern. So actually, he's, he's quite. Um, he's taking modern technology with him then. Oh, he is. Yeah, yeah. I think so. We shouldn't underestimate his sign, although it's. He is perceived as this tragic hero because of the actual well, he's ultimate got the, he's outcome. He's got the state-of-the-art sleds. sleds he has. Yes. That's what I'm saying. He, he kind of, I think it's, we underestimate, or it's probably, un, because of the, not, it isn't a failure in itself. I mean, he achieved what yeah. he set out to do. But I think the actual outcome wasn't, obviously, he didn't actually sort of get back. They obviously died on the way back. But he actually was very scientific in his approach about the whole thing. And I think that's, because he didn't actually get back, that that viewpoint has been yeah. marred a little bit. They've... Yeah, maybe I should take the opportunity just to say that, um, obviously, because of what you're saying here, um, just a little bit to drill down on um, Scott's party here. He picked in the final push uh, Wilson, Bowers, Oates, Evans and himself. Uh, Wilson was uh, Edward Adrian Wilson, ornithologist, naturalist, historian, physician and artist. Lieutenant Henry Robinson Bowers was a Lieutenant um, Navy and he'd uh, come to the exploration from reading all about Shackleton and Scott's thing and was recommended to him by, uh, would you believe, Markham again at the Geographical Society and this guy had uh, no polar experience. Then we got Petty Officer Edgar Evans, Welsh Naval Seaman, I guess the kind of strong toughy guy in the group and of course himself. He obviously didn't... Um anticipate what would happen to the mechanics in the cold weather the cold weather well in fact the cold i think was the, the extreme the freak extreme weather was probably the thing that really scuppered their their actually scientifically planned um expedition was scuppered by something that even no one would have I don't so even the, so the, sledges, the, the uh, motorized stuff broke down didn't it at the start? yeah all the stuff and but the conditions were so extreme yeah. That that scuppered them. That scuppered them. So the dogs, unfortunately he, he couldn't handle dogs, could he? Yeah, I mean obviously there's thirty four of them. Yeah, there's obviously sort of different techniques, aren't there? You you probably talk about some of the yeah. um things that they've learned from the previous expeditions. But um yeah, whether you can handle dogs or whether there's specific things, I think the main thing is, as we'll discuss is 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 the weather condition which really put them down into such mm. cold uh, weather and atmosphere it scuppered everything so it, it does probably doesn't matter what you knew what you could have done there's probably lots of things that probably could have helped i know scott because there's a, you know scott was writing in his diaries about you know he didn't think that the, the dogs mm. were were um were useful at all you know and no. it was bizarre that at some stage i remember some historian telling us that it's almost like almost as if the dogs ended up sitting on the sleds and they were pulling the dogs, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, on, on his fail, I know the failed ep uh, expedition he did before, he told Wilson to shoot the last two dogs and put them out in the misery. Yeah. You know, he was, yeah. Um, so he's yeah. he's not too happy with the dogs. But the ponies, they weren't very effective, were they, the ponies? Mm, no. I mean, yeah, you know, en route, killing the ponies for meat. Yep, yeah, that's good. That's a good thing to do. But, of course, um, these ponies are going down early and they can't keep that fresh food for long. And, of course, they actually lose one of the ponies, I think, down a crevasse or down some uh, some problem. They, they actually lose that particular meat anyway. They're manhauling the sledges pretty early on. 
No, I mean, it, obviously, there's so many variables that you could take into account for the actual that you could kind of pinpoint and say, look, if they didn't do this or if they hadn't done that or if mm. this had been a bit more sort of thought through, would that have made a difference? I think What's overall... interesting to me when you're talking about Scott is that I mentioned that he'd had mm. the failed attempt with uh, Shackleton and then Shackleton mm. went back. But for six years, Scott is back doing his naval career and doing other things. And then six years later, he comes back. Mm. Now, he, he uses the ponies, as you say, the mm. way that Shackleton did. Yeah. But apart from that, I just wondered, oh, he's got those motorised things that didn't work. But but yeah. apart from that, he's, there's not too much more innovation than he was doing the first time. No, probably not. I mean, I think there's, like I say, it's only a short period of time, isn't it? I guess how much innovation would happen in that time. He's obviously been focusing on raising money to get to get yeah. to fund the whole thing. And I think that, that obviously sort of took a long time. And that's obviously the sort of time difference. Because obviously, if you think if you have the cash, you just get out there and you do it. He's got the right people on board. He's got a fantastic meteorologist, doesn't he? Simpson, who kind of does these when they're they're there at the base camp for a, a year. He does all yeah. this weather reporting. And yeah, and Simpson did a did a cracking job. But I think we we'll probably talk about Simpson mm. later on. Now, so you've now got Scott to the South Pole. We'll we'll leave him there for a second, and yeah. then we'll just think about Amundsen. He was the first guy, Amundsen, Norwegian, a professional explorer. Does nothing else, just completely professional. Yeah. He was the first guy to track the Northwest Passage in a boat, trying to join up between the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans, going right across in a small boat from one end to the other. He did that between 1903 and 1906. But on these travels, his idea originally was to go to the North Pole. But uh, Mm. he had an expedition he was doing this with until he realised that this guy, Peary, from America, had mm. got there. There's another guy from America called Cook, and he said he'd got there first. In mm. his eyes, he's thinking, well, I don't want to get down there and uh, have a dispute between the three of us. That's not going to make fame and glory for me. No. So he's no. going to change He's going to change tack. But what he'd been doing during this Northwest pack with the boat on those years, he'd been doing scientific experiments himself, and they'd been looking at the magnetic and all the, and, and the shifting that they'd come to find out that the North Pole actually had shifted by so many miles. And when he oh. thought he'd been actually at the pole, he hadn't actually been at it. So there was a lot of incredible signs that he'd brought to the fore mm. uh, by doing mm. this. But anyway, he changed tactic and uh, a little bit clandestine and secretive. Now he doesn't tell anybody, not even his crew. Right. He decides... I've got to do something. I'm in terrible debt. I've remortgaged my house. And of course, this means his backers are pulling out. He doesn't really want anybody to know anything. So, um, but if he pulls this off, it's all going to be rosy for him. And that's why um, he doesn't want to mention anything even to his home people and the King of Norway and everybody, because at the very least, it's going to delay him. He decides, right, that's it then. I'm going to the South Pole. So he starts set off and he doesn't send a telegram across to... uh, Scott's lot until he's on his way down to let him know that there's going to be a bit of a race on here. But mm. what's interesting at both the ships when they're down there, mm. none of them have wireless communication. So when they're leaving right. Antarctica, once they're down there, yeah. the only way to get a message back to the mainland was as fast as a ship could carry them because each, yeah. each particular ships didn't have any any other facility. About Amundsen, in contrast to what you just said about Scott, he spent a couple of years with the Inuits, the, the Eskimos, and he... Um, he took things to them. He showed them certain types of needle and certain types of sewing. He took knives to them. And in return, 
and they drained his confidence, they started showing him a lot of things that he would need for a successful mm. trip to yeah, either the North good, or the South Pole. Yeah. And was that his actual aim, do you think? Was that his aim to sort of learn from um, that? I, I think possibly, yes. Um, mm. See, I, with, with um, Captain Scott's crew, he's got Oakes and he's got Bowers, hasn't he? Uh, Evans, the other guy. Yeah. Uh, Evans, the petty officer. He's got his, his team. And they were training when they were getting down to the, the pole. Whereas um, with Amundsen, I know from my own daughter, when we go, as you know, we've, we spent a lot of time in Norway, my family. They've, uh, some friends of ours are friends. Uh, one particular guy was a champion skier. He was a veteran champion skier. And on one trip, my daughter was actually um, driving a car with two other Norwegians up, up into some remote places making food stations because he was pra- he was just simply practicing as a middle-aged guy and he's skiing all through these passes and these and she's having mm. to orientate herself and this is kind of a normal thing that these guys do so you yeah. so you realize that they're uh, you know as soon as they can toddle around they put them on a set of skis you know yeah. they they yeah. they're getting used to this kind of thing yeah so um so yeah. with that in mind come back to amazon he's got like um all his men are uh, extremely fit they're very fit and all but one of them that make this final push to the pole are expert navigators and qualified expert navigators and mm. this is something that perhaps you and i will talk about with scott's team and mm. the navy uh, disciplines of who's navigational and who isn't yeah and he has everybody on his team more or less expert navigators right yeah. and so um and he learns to wear furs. He wears furs on the outside and a different type of fur under his skin that's turned inside out. The Inuits have shown him how to lay it in the snow for a year and change the fur so that it doesn't sweat inside and how to wear furs top to bottom, unlike yeah. uh, uh, Scott with his wool and all that sort of stuff that he's got. Yeah, the canvasy type things, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. rubberized stuff, which is it doesn't bear thinking about, does it? It's, no. Uh, no. You know, um, it's uh, so he's got all that going on. And then, of course, the dog. And of course, this is particularly significant that the Inuits, the Eskimos had shown him and he'd learnt himself that um, they needed fresh food. And there's only one way to get fresh food. And that was to kill it en route. Well, how the heck are you going to do that? And of course, they said it was barbaric. It was to kill the dogs, eat the dogs and let the dogs eat the dogs. But he found that the, um, the uh, normal husky dog would not um, would not eat another dog. It flatly refused. But in fact, the Greenland dogs would actually eat another dog no problem. And the Inuit said, that's what you need. He'd learnt this. And so he brings all the dogs he brings down are Greenland dogs. And that particular little bit of information there is, I think, very, very significant. He also, when he'd been in the North Pole himself, Amundsen had had scurvy and um, all the the nervous disorders from the the B vitamins that Scott's party had suffered from on previous trips. Um, So your B vitamins give you all those nervous disorders and then the lack of vitamin C, you get the scurvy. And he'd had all this. And the one thing, the biggest thing that he'd learned, the indigenous folk of the Eskimos, was the fact that by eating fresh food, uh, that prevented, for whatever reasons, were not medical, but um, it prevented all those particular diseases and ailments. I mean, he, he arrives at the, um, he arrives 400 miles away from Scott. Scott is at the, he's Scott's at, at Ross Island. Bay of Wales at one side. Yeah. And Scott's at 
Ross Island. Island. Yeah, Ross yeah, Island. Ross Island. Yeah. And in fact, uh, Scott at one stage sends a boat down to just to do some exploration over towards the uh, side that uh, not knowing that he's there. No, they, they were shocked to find him there. These Norwegians right. there. Yeah, you know. yeah. Um, and of course, they they then obviously sail back and said, "Look what we found over there." So sort I think of they just sort mm. of came straight back, but um, they knew he was coming down they'd, they'd got word of that but of course yeah. they can't uh, make, they can't make a they can't set off to the pole until the the summer starts and they can't yeah. go in the winter the uh, antarctic summer is um, sort of october to february they say or maybe very very sort of early november through to very early march depending but even amazon with all these uh, indigenous uh, things on board and all these dogs he, he gets down here with 100 dogs but he only mm. sets off properly with 52 because he sets off towards the end of the winter and he makes a mistake yeah and so you know he's not um, he's not without his faults amazon he uh, obviously desperate to get to the pole first he he was. Uh, he did actually set off a month early with his hundred dogs and four sledges, and uh, he, he didn't. He hadn't waited for the uh, for the spring. Uh, basically, he hadn't waited for that, and um, a huge mistake. And he had to turn back. And some of his men were severely frostbitten, and uh, he was highly criticised by one of his team, a guy, uh, Jamar Johnson, and uh, led to a big argument, unusual for Amundsen, who was uh, very amicable and sort of everybody together on the thing. But anyway, he accused him of doing everything and jeopardising people's lives just for the sake of winning. And um, well, anyway, when he departed a month later, um, obviously he left this particular guy behind. And what we got, uh, so he went set off with 50 52 dogs that he had left on this one um, with uh, Helmer Hansen who'd uh, done the part uh, northwest with him uh, passage then Olaf uh, Bajand, Oscar Visling and Sevier Hassel they were the the guys that he actually took so he actually took five and then intended to take five guys in the first place um, right. but dogs were the thing they have to be handled and they have to be trained. And and even yeah. Amazon had to be trained, even though they know how to train dogs. The Inuits showed them how to right. train. And, of course, mm -hmm. they take a Greenland dog that's prepared to eat another dog, whereas the, right. <laughs> the Alaskan Huskies won't eat another dog. It's funny you should say that because it's uh, it's a weird thing. Why, why would they know? How would they know? Are they kind of – I mean, I'm not well, saying dogs aren't intelligent. When, uh, but... Amazon himself had, had, had suffered scurvy, you know, lack of vitamin C yeah. and if the lack of vitamin C on Scott's team they were getting nervous problems and all those mm. nervous problems that you get you know if somebody starts getting funny little shimmerings in the head or whatever they go to the doctors and they start looking at vitamin B tablets so they've got and there's a scurvy and the lack of vitamin C and yeah. uh, the one thing that uh, Amazon had absolutely nailed from the Inuits is the fact mm. that you've got to have fresh food if you have fresh food you mm. will not have those deficiencies. Yeah, yeah. And every explorer had had these deficiencies to that point. Mm. And you think, well, how you, on earth yeah. are you going to have fresh food? You see, uh, I think Scott was giving them the dogs uh, frozen fish, didn't work. The dogs were dying. Yeah, so yeah. the only way to have fresh food is to kill stuff on the journey. Yeah, so that's the classic, isn't he, it? So yeah. the Eskimos said to him, you've got to kill the dog. Yeah. The dogs yeah. will eat the dog, you eat the dog. You've got yeah. fresh food. Amazon manages to get to the pole and he gets back without any injuries, without mm. any illnesses. But if that fact, Amazon, 
In fact, they weren't even hungry when they got back. I think I read some. But the thing is, if, if, if they had had those weather conditions, the same weather conditions that Scott had, they'd have probably suffered probably similar, I would have thought. I'm not sure whether the weather conditions changed when um, in that three weeks before with Amazon or not. But I think even if the weather had made a turn for the worst down to, say, minus 30-ish, might have been more, actually, um, for Scott. Um, but uh, let's say minus 30, 35, you know, I think at least with what uh, Amazon had and the way he was kitted out, uh, I think there's a fair chance that he would have been okay. Amazon had prepared, he'd prepared for all this. Uh, Amazon had very uh, clever contingency plans uh, if the weather was taking a turn for the worst uh, through experience. Uh, we'll come on to in a minute. Yeah, um, okay. You know, can you tell me about, do you, do you know about Scott when he did his, his, like his food depots? He put every hundred miles, didn't he? A one ton, the one ton depot. Oh, one he did ton those. Depot. Like he has these. Yeah. yeah. Do you know that one? Yeah, where, well, the one where they were they were about eleven miles, eleven miles from it at the end, weren't they? Yeah. And they were going. They were almost going to reach. This is one of the things I was going to ask at the point where they stopped and where they were found eventually. Is why didn't they just drop everything? Why were they so intent on just dragging, dragging themselves down in these really difficult conditions? Why didn't they just go for it and go? Look, we're so close. Well, I think one of the things is the way sets up his food depots. Mm. His navigation has got to be so precise to yeah. part of it. And these guys are absolutely spent, you know. Towards the end, they're sort of doing five miles, or seven, seven miles a day or whatever they're doing. These guys are absolutely shattered because they need the sledges for survival. They can't afford to just drop the sledges and go hell for leather for the for the food station. Not only because when they get there, they've still got to move on to the next uh, one. They can't. They just can't do that. Oh, okay, let's just uh, let my imagination run right for a second here, RJ. You know, perhaps um, to give everybody an idea of that. And I'm. I'm. This is just guessing now. I'm just guessing, but um, just imagine, put yourself a great big pack on your back, a big burg and a heavy, heavy pack, and then go and uh, go and run three miles, 4.8 kilometres. Yeah, do, do, do three miles and see if you can get back in about 30 minutes or less. And then immediately go and start jumping on the spot and shadow boxing for three minutes, absolutely flat out, take a minute's rest. Do that for uh, three times, so you've done three rounds and then Put the pack on your back and this time go on a, no, let's say five miles, uh, jogging and walking and keep that up between 60 and 70 minutes. Remember, that's with the burger on your back. You can do the same thing again in a, a concentrated area and then do some ton-ups, press-ups, sit-ups, squat thrusts, whatever, until you're absolutely spent. Then put the pack on your back and then go do 3Ks. And then um, if you put into the context that, that keep the same clothes on, Keep the same clothes on and then uh, see if you can get yourself an hour's kip and then go and do it all again. And so if you add to that the weather conditions, now here's the big one, a blister. If you have a blister on a foot, you can be fell running, you can be the fittest guy on the planet, but if you get a blister in the wrong place, you can almost be shut down instantly. Now let's replace that with frostbite and you got a huge problem on your hands. Well, I suppose if you add to that that you're extremely hungry, you haven't had enough food, you've got malnutrition, 
possible scurvy coming on from the uh, vitamin C deficiency. You're starting to get the spider's web on your face and the nervous conditions and the, the strange things associated with vitamin B deficiency. And you've got all these things extremely hungry and put all those things together and um, I guess you've got a problem on your hands. So they're uh, at this stage really fighting for survival um, and whatever else, very, very brave men. Uh, Amazon is completely different. You know, I was mentioning about my daughter finding mm. these ski routes. I mentioned the ski routes with this yeah. skier that they knew. Yeah, and what sure. he was doing. So he'd set up some food stations for them. You've seen it in uh, up in Scotland. You see it in Norway. In the wintertime, they put posts, yeah. poles at the side of the roads so that um, when you're driving along narrow roads, um, you, you wouldn't know there was a ditch there. You just wouldn't know it was there. So they have these big poles. You yeah. see them all over the place so that yeah. you, you know that you're actually on a road because you yeah. can't tell. You That's can't right. You see those markers. Yeah. yeah markers, so Amazon, yeah. Amazon's amazing. Um, during his own his depot laying in 1911, Amazon right. is the first um, he, 180 miles or 290 kilometers of his route mm. he marks it up so what he actually does yes six foot he, he builds his, his stations his cairns six foot every three miles this is this is i'm talking about for the first 180s comes on and in the cairn he puts a position and a dis uh, and a distance to the next depot and the direction to the next cairn yeah and he considers yeah. the snow yeah. to so if it's blowing badly uh, to the extent he took he took precautions each depot laid out up to 85 degrees laid out in every degree of latitude. He had a line. He had like bamboo flags and bamboo yeah. sticks. And he, he sets them uh, traversely. In other words, crosswise. Sure, uh, yeah. Every half mile for five miles. Yeah, that's pretty good, and isn't every it? Every depot of his, Scots are 100 miles. His are 16 miles. Oh, yeah. 20 miles a day. They're never going to go hungry. So, you know, he, he's preparing for bad weather. As if this is going to happen, he, he because of his experience in Norway and, of course, being with the Inuits, but also Amundsen had used um, prepared navigational sh sheets, simplifying things for when they get really tired, because he understands how they'll be thinking. And four out of his team were, of course, as we said before, expert navigators who are all qualified. And so um, he had these simplified sheets. So he's, at every point, he's aware that uh, visibility can change, everything can change, and he's putting in a, a very, very uh, comprehensive contingency plan. Well, this is the thing. I thought the, the Scott were planning on 15 miles a day, weren't they? Uh, something like that, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bear in mind that their depots are 100 miles apart, I think. <laughs> And they were so close to the to the one that they were going to get to. They were like eleven miles or something at the end. Yeah, yeah. To get to the one that could have, you know, got them through. I think um, for every seven depots that Amazon had, Scott had two. Yeah. And Scott has much concerns about his route finding from his diaries. Right. He's nearly okay. missing the depots. They're almost missing it. But yeah, Amazon had yeah. prepared for the swirling wind. He's prepared for if if conditions change. So that if the guys are tired and mm. they're, they're weary and they might be missing, he sets these. When you think how many miles he's setting these poles out in all directions and telling him which direction he's coming to and then yeah. where the cairn is, is then if you've lost your bearings, it will tell you which way to yeah, go. Yeah, to get back on track. Yeah, yeah he, because he understands. He knows what it's like to be in the wilderness. Oh, absolutely. Um, you can just imagine there's nothing. It's just 
white, literally, isn't it? Just There's no white. markers. So what, what gets me, what I think is really funny, RJ, is when they get to the South Pole. Yeah. Let's say there's no tent there. Yeah. They get, they get to the South Pole and it just looks exactly the same as the last yeah. three weeks have been trudging along. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. know they have to go through the, the, the mountainous region to get onto the plateau. In, yeah, the in Amazon's ca- he, he was following Shackleton's footsteps, whereas Amazon, he knew charted territory that's not been done before. Right. But he's got guys that can scale up glaciers. He's got, yeah. he's got um, athletes, Olympic athletes with him. Yeah. They're all highly trained. They're all able to dig in. They dig these like igloos where they can, they'd learn yeah, amazing, how to do good. them over yeah. a two-year period. At first, he could, didn't know how to do them properly. And then he could build an entrenched system where they actually shave down the, the mm. sledges from 146 pounds to 56 pounds to make them lighter. Right, yeah. Get stuff yeah. for speed. And everyone had specialist trades, but they were all practical. You just think about Scott with his the Navy disciplines and the people he picks. You just wonder how that, how that sort of pans out. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, I mean, obviously, the objectives were always a sort of scientific and geographical experiments. And so you've obviously got you think these people have got a level of kind of like what you call bushcraft or kind of ability to survive in a wilderness and a wildness, uh, a practical kind of aspect to themselves. You know, they obviously must be into all this exploring, mustn't they? I think one thing that was in Scott's favour is he was a good writer. His diaries are very, mm. I shouldn't say dramatic, because he's trying to be as concise as he can be when he writes, but yeah. he's a very good writer. Do you, do you think um, he sort of says things you know, in a way which uh, are a bit more diplomatic? Yeah, I say the Norwegian explorer, he's uh, fantastic and all the rest of it, but I don't think um, creative writing was his thing. I mean, no. he, he calls his <laughs> ship the, the Fram, yeah, right. which is... Um, which in Norwegian means forward. And yeah. then when he when he actually pitches the tent that uh, poor old Scott and his crew find when they get down there, yeah, and they're gutted. Yeah. He call he calls that he call the tent he leaves there with the Norwegian flag and he calls it um calls it Polheim. Well, Polheim. basically Heim yeah. is home. Yeah. So Polheim. So it's not exactly he's not yeah. too ambitious with his uh, with his creativity <laughs> in that way, is he? And, the, no. and his Arctic base on the coast, he calls it Framheim. So right. in other words, forward home. So yeah. he doesn't. He didn't come up with these. Um, these yeah, it's quite points. pragmatic. It's very and just, <laughs> yeah, to the point. No messing about. Yeah. This is it. Yeah, he does. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and he he discovers the um, a glacier thing that he calls the Axel Heiberg glacier. So he's, he's yeah, the Axel Heiberg. Yeah. But yeah. he gets he gets there on December fourteenth, nineteen eleven. Yeah, so that's Scott right. Doesn't get there till January the ninth. Uh, January seventeenth. Yeah, oh, something 17, like that, yeah. 17, yeah. 12. Yeah, it's 34 days in between, isn't it? I must just clarify and say this, that uh, the round trip from the pole was about 1,800 miles, 900 there, 900 back. But, of course, um, Amundsen set off earlier on the 18th of uh, October for the pole. Scott began three weeks later. And that, actually, Amundsen's uh, from the point where he set off from uh, was 60 miles closer and it was a totally uncharted route as uh, you know Scott was uh, setting off on uh, basically Shackleton's footsteps um, but completely uncharted for uh, Amundsen. Yeah and I should mention that I have to mention these guys with uh, with um, Amundsen because they were the first guys there. Helmer Hansen who was who was who'd been on the Northwest Passage in Olav Bajand, Oscar uh, Visting 
and Sphere Hassel, which uh, these guys, mm. they were the guys that uh, that got to the uh, the pole with him. Scott's uh, retreat. Can we talk about how Scott got back or how, how he was attempting to get back? Because we only know from his diaries coming yeah. back how bad it was. Um, yeah, I thought they thought it was OK to start with. I think they, they were on track, weren't they? I mean, yeah, they're on track Evans, in terms of their the program. Officer Evans <clears throat> with, the, with the crew. He, he fell. Well, Banged oh, his head he? really badly, and they mm. said he died in the night. Well, we mm. yeah. we, don't, we just got to go with what they say, you know. He had uh, bad frostbite as well, didn't he? He had bad frostbite. I I think probably he did, yeah. Um, but they said he died in the night. The frostbite thing is a real, really puts me off. Yeah. I mean, but I don't know about you, probably, but they're, they're suggesting from the head injury that he had from yeah. falling down the. Yeah. yeah. But we 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 have to take their kind of kind of words for it that that's what happened. And of course, he took um. He took five instead of four. Exactly, yeah. He was going to take four, wasn't he? That was what he was planning on doing. Why did he take five in the end? I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, I know Amazon took five, but he planned He planned for five, whereas yeah. he'd never planned for five, and then he takes an extra one. And so right. he, he'd never, mm. the provisions and the food and everything. Is a, mm. I just think, what was really strange to me was that um, all Amazon's guys, all of them were excellent skiers, yeah. all brilliant yeah. skiers. Well, they only had four sets of skis, Scott's crew, and the fifth member, one of them, couldn't ski at all. Right. He, well, the so, pro- oh, oh, he, he could hardly ski, so he didn't yeah, use yeah. So you can only go at the pace of the slowest man, can't you? So that yeah. means, really, none yeah. of them are on skis. Well, I do have to say, in fairness, that um, uh, I know from being in Norway that um, the snow has to be right for, for skiing, and there's sometimes when, when it isn't right. Yeah, but when you say skiing, well, that was just the walking kind of skiing, where they kind of walk with Lang the skis skiing, on. Yeah, yeah. So it's not so, like skiing downhills or anything. Unless they thought that the idea was to put a man up front, not mm. pull him sledge, put him 50, 100 metres in mm. front, the so they got I... to aim for. But then yeah. again, the guy at the front's going to have to be the navigator. The other thing to consider is one of the guys isn't a skier or doesn't really do it, then skiing uses a completely different set of muscles. If you're a long-distance runner, and then in the winter in, in Norg, in Norway, you uh, you ski. It's a completely different set of muscles. So if he's not really very con- conversant with that, he's going to cause a real problem after two or three days of doing this all day long. The other thing yeah. I thought was quite good, they were anticipating these winds that were going to come from behind them on the way back. They yeah, did. And they were going to put sails up on the sledges. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. sounds pretty good, isn't it? And you yeah. see, if, these, if, he's, if he's worked out his programming based on all these things and they don't happen you can imagine not having enough food not having the right gear thinking oh well, i was anticipating yeah, a bit from of his diaries that. it seems that you you mentioned it earlier that the weather i think uh, simpson years later they worked out the meteorologist he simpson's calculations were brilliant he worked out once every 10 years it was a terrible time he he did yes. they did apparently modern modern time sets one in every 15 years you'd get this kind of weather yeah, so he got, he got worse weather coming back, which could, if the weather had been kind to him, yeah, perhaps uh, things might, might have been have, different. That's what some people say, isn't it? That's what some conclusions have yeah. been drawn. That but that weather the thing for really... me with Scott coming back is that the unthinkable happened to him. Well, they'd already lost one man, and then the famous uh, thing played out about Oates, Captain Oates. He'd got bad frostbite, and he was uh, holding them back. And, of course, what did he do? He gets up and uh, leaves the tent and says, I could be gone for some time. Famous saying, of course, that's uh, into folklore and um, extremely brave and noble thing to do. 
So the returning party is now down to three. Mm. And one morning before the march, um, Scott looks down at his foot. Right. And he saw that he had frostbite on his foot. Yeah, and that's, that's now, it, isn't it? Uh, and the thing was that shortly after that, they're in the tent saying that there's a blizzard for 10 days. Well, apparently modern thinking is that blizzards in the Antarctic never last more than two to three days ever. Really bad frostbite and the other two have decided to stay with him. Yeah. The other two could could have left him and gone to the depot, but they decided yeah. to stay with him. And he, he thinks they're so heroic, these men, and he writes how brilliant they are. Yeah, they're so loyal, which is, aren't they? It is. Yeah. It's absolutely fantastic that they did that. Mm. You, you, in hindsight, we question, uh, one was a doctor, the other guy, you know, the two guys that were there with him, yeah. were the expert navigators. Because, you know, like in the old days on board ship, you've got the officers uh, who navigate, the rest of the ship's crew can't navigate, so they mm. very difficult for them to mutiny on a ship they can't steer. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? True. So, yeah. But on Amazon's crew, everybody's everybody's a skilled navigator, more or less. Yeah, so that's pretty good. So, so you, the thing is, if you if they said there was a blizzard, one of the things that caused that bad weather was the lack of wind, because yes. apparently there's this big cold bubble over that bit, which stopped the warmer. That's air right. That was above yeah, it. I read somewhere. That's right. They said that a bit of wind actually. It's warmer. So if there was a blizzard. It's warmer in the Antarctic with a bit of wind than when there isn't yeah, one. Yeah. So exactly. So if if that if there was a blizzard, surely there was wind. So if they're saying there's a ten day blizzard, and it was it was more it was more as you're sort of implying is like basically he was he was scuppered, wasn't he? Scott had this really bad frostbite. He probably couldn't go on any further anyway. And the others yeah, thought modern very thinking loyal. is thinking that perhaps the other two could have. Yeah. And yeah. but but they were noble. I mean, he, he had this thing, Scott, about it was he thought it was more noble to pull manhole sledges than to be driven by dogs. He he thought it was more noble and yeah. more yeah. sort of for mankind. I can understand well, even, that. Even that, even though there was supposed to be eleven <laughs> miles from one of their one ton depots, you'd just drop everything, wouldn't you? And just go for it. If the weather had then improved slightly, you've, if you know you've only got to walk 11 miles to get to this one of these depots. Yeah, again, RJ, it's an excellent point. Um, but I think, you know, 11 miles to some guys in the condition that they're in, whether it's the frostbite or otherwise, or they're spent or whatever, you know, 300 yards a mile can be can be like doing 20 marathons. Exhaustion. They're yeah, they're exhausted. They? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One yeah, of the absolutely. things that Scott didn't grasp, mate, you're, you're quite right. I, I believe, you know, you, you were right that he, um, the scientific work that they were doing was fantastic. And he'll go down in history for that. You know, yeah. he, he knew how important that was and carrying mm. everything and the carrying the rocks. They say probably, I listened to Rand Fiennes, the great explorer, saying that it doesn't mm. necessarily make any difference about having heavy, with carrying the rock samples back. Because yeah, because of that might snow. Actually benefited the sled. Yeah. Mm. So. Snow rock. Know, crystallizing which meant it didn't get that water which had allowed it to slip through the that, so stoicism of staying with him till the end he says that yeah. he, he writes to the families and says how brilliant they are to yeah. To, yeah. to stay with them yeah but uh in the autumn when it's, they got down there uh, to find the tent when they found them the, the yeah. following autumn they uh they found the tent the harrowing they said that the two other two were laying the sleep bags dead obviously and frozen but mm. scott was half out his sleeping bag and they say it looks like um scott was the last to die mm. but that might not necessarily be the case if he's the one that got the frostbite to start with 
mm, he might mm. well have died first. Um, mm, mm. It's harrowing. Other... It's such a harrowing story, isn't it? Yeah, the... they just left the tent as it was, didn't they, and built a big cairn round it of snow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They took the diaries and all the things. Now, I'm, I'm not sure if this is 100% true, but I'm, I'm almost positive I read this, that he had clutching him or he had it near his side, a fossil that he was holding. Oh, right. It basically shows that millions of years ago, there were trees on um, on Antarctica. Oh, right, okay. That's interesting, a, yeah. So I, I think yeah, it's quite fitting if that is true. That he's, yeah. He's, but I just found these facts here, RJ, which is interesting, that um, mm. you know that they were wearing wool rather than fur. You know, they right. have this cool thing. Okay. Well, uh, wet material loses heat 25 times faster than dry. Yes, yes, I was going to say, yeah. The cold tent never gave a chance for the clothes to shed no, moisture. No, no. so cold that men's socks froze solid overnight. Yeah. It takes them a, an extra, an hour and a half every morning before they can get on the march. Yeah, and I know. Any, awful, any skin damaged is susceptible. Yeah, you know, yeah. Scott. Apparently, it's not minus 20. It's it's worse conditions. So we're talking minus 30 here. Yeah. Of course, he know. takes Lawrence Oates, captain, mm. military guy, soldier. Yeah, you see, Oates was um, landed gentry. He um, he was a, a young army officer, but he'd actually gone to Eton, and his, his parents were very, very wealthy, and he'd gone to Eton. But he had to leave Eton College early because of um, illness, believe it or not. Eventually gets commissioned into, um, I believe, a Yorkshire regiment for a while, and then he's involved in the Second World War as a junior officer, and he's transferred into the Sixth in Skill and Dragoons. He transfers to cavalry as a second lieutenant and done uh, quite a few operations with them. He was actually recommended for the Victoria Cross for uh, after being hit and um, not surrendering to an engagement where he said we came here to fight not surrender um, but he gets in 1901 he gets a gunshot wound which shattered his left thigh bone leaving it an inch shorter than the right um, but it's this uh, this actions here and the, his actions that he was uh, recommended for the Victoria Cross which uh, for his actions brought it to the public brought him to the public attention in the cold any form of skin or any form of wound is going to mm. start causing you problems. Right. Just yeah. tells me that the not that the guy wasn't fit for service or whatever, but it just tells me how Amundsen had picked. He'd gone for complete and utter athletes in in his approach. They weren't yeah. intellectuals at all. No. No. Were, no intellectuals, but they were all practical. They all had huge mm. amount of practical skills, and they said they could go up an eight thousand. I mean, they got the, the new glacier they found. They were up it in no time, a few days, up on the plateau. They're mm. used to doing it, you know, whereas... This is the thing where Scott's we all... ...doing the same footsteps that he'd done before and Shackleton had done before, going mm. in the same route, same way, you know. It's funny, isn't it? Because it's like, we, it really brings back to mind, like, the motivation of why these people do these things. And is it just the glory of being the first to get, like you said, a race, purely race? Or is it the way we are the Brits at that time were thinking about it, like, oh, well, we're going to do it for scientific reasons. We're not interested in the racing and all this sort of thing. And yeah. um, it just goes to show... Well, back in Britain, isn't it? Back in Britain, they they just fell short of the noble, the British people. They just fell short of them, of branding yeah. uh, Amundsen an out-and-out -out murderer. Just, right. <laughs> yeah. just simply yeah. because he, he, um, he called it a race. Scott said it was never a race. Do you remember? He no. said... 
That's so right. But it's, sort of, it's was... kind of it's a sort of like empire thing still, isn't it? It's like demonstrating yes. like how powerful and what they can achieve as being more important. You could argue than... that some of what we're witnessing here, studying this, is the precursor to the mentality of what was to follow in the First World War with the yeah, mentality say, of the yeah. generals. You know, yeah. sending all these men to the slaughter. They're hundreds of miles back. Uh, yeah. Just yeah. Whining and it dining just, sort of thing. It does, yeah. It does kind of show the sort of mindset of these of these people. They're still in that mindset where they kind and of know best. It would be best. interesting to know how Scott's leadership... Um, they said that Scott's leadership got the first exposition back when Shackleton was ill. Shackleton was really tough. Apparently, most men wouldn't have made it back. He was really tough. And when he mm. got back to back home, he, he recovered within two or three weeks and he was ready to go again. But they reckon then that Scott's leadership got them back um, yeah, yeah, but it, but it's but it's interesting how the the mindset of the leadership how it works with the other guys. Well, not... the, do you do you know anything? Because I think one of the things that that says about the Terra Nova expedition is this our Royal Yacht Squadron, and that was enabled them to buy this boat. They registered with the Royal Yacht Squadron, which meant they had naval rules. But does that mean there's specific ways they can control people? Do you think in terms of like? I'm the boss. Uh, I never you thought about that. Yeah, but yeah. see, this is this is because in theory well, that's e- how Evans they... was a, a petty officer in his in his mm. in his group, wasn't he? He was a petty officer, Evans. So right. he's not a commissioned officer. So that will have a bearing on how he talks to them and how he asks them yeah. to do things. And I just wonder mm. when you when you look at our special forces guys or anywhere around the world, they work mm. in small teams and usually. The team is all of equal ability and then we'll say, OK, I'll lead this mission. And then they yeah. accept it. And and then a few weeks later, they go on another mission and one of the others will be picked as leader. But the others will then wholeheartedly accept it. But all yeah. of them have got exactly the same skills. Yeah. Yeah. So it's quite that's, interesting, that, isn't that's it? that thing, you know, because they know that that works. And when you look back to someone like Amundsen, you think, have they learned that from looking at somebody like him the way that he has people on this sort of equal footing yeah this sort of hierarchy thing doesn't necessarily doesn't necessarily work no you've got like a a more level hierarchy rather than this pyramid where you've always got like a captain at the top navigator goes down we've got another navigator that can Mm. can can deal with it whereas yeah because my what my my worry is it's an awful thing to say, and I'm sure this didn't happen because Wilson was a doctor and Bauer, the, the other guys in the tent with him, were, um, were uh, as far as I know, very, very, you know, uh, intelligent men. Yeah. But could all three of those guys navigate? Scott obviously could, you know, because what I'm saying mm. is if you've got the only guy that can navigate out of there, yeah, then yeah. you've got to stay with him whether you like it or not. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, this is the thing. Could they see? It's interesting that you say this. All the Amazon's team are good navigators. He obviously puts that as priority because when you actually think about it, if you're in this white, yeah, he wouldn't, yeah, if he wouldn't you're in this, take them if they weren't qualified. Yeah, you, you've got to know where you are, haven't you? And in fact, I was always. How do you know you're at the South Pole? Because did you sort of say, did Captain Scott or something, did they reach somewhere before? Amazon, did he reach somewhere because of the magnetic fields? And Amazon that? had been doing the Northwest Passage and he was going to go out to the pole. Yeah. He thought he was actually at the North Pole. Yeah. But the yeah. science that he did there realised that it had, sh- it had shifted by 30 miles. And up until yeah. that point, it, people didn't 
humans didn't we didn't know this was happening so they no, learnt all no. this new stuff yeah so that's quite interesting yeah know? i think navigation is probably fun is really key to the whole thing isn't it really he could have trained his guys couldn't because i mean like all these things yes that's very true rj but uh as you have uh, quite rightly pointed out, naval rules. And so obviously um, by whether they can train everybody, but let's say that they're all of an intellect that they can be trained, uh, by not training certain people, that gives you a command structure and gives you um, a hierarchy and a respect, almost a, a respect that's um, demanded rather than uh, earned. If you're going to go on an expedition, it's like what you're thinking is the priority. And he could have said, and, and right. The experience my... of somebody from Norway who he knows from doing skiing routes mm. about putting poles miles and miles and miles out from a food depot and marking them up with colours and move so that if mm. they come across something, so they that know where they can help, are. help them because yeah. he knows that in a swirling wind you might. diaries. It, there's a couple of the food depots where they almost missed them. They had yeah. To so I can imagine when Amundsen's doing his sort of recce work, you know, sort of at the beginning, yeah. he's just putting flags in everywhere, thinking, I don't care, I'm going to put a flag in here. It was 180 miles, or what's that, um, about what, 290 kilometres? Yeah, you and wouldn't he, even... Even puts things on them if they come to a pole in the wrong direction. It's giving them the direction of yeah. where they should be. So that, yeah. And again, so again, what that puts back to Captain Scott is like, he's probably thinking, oh, I'm really good at navigating. I don't need to put all these markers and here. I think, I? I think his, his uh, slight mistake was the fact that Amazon put yeah. those things in place, expecting that the weather may turn really bad. Mm. Whereas... Mm. Whereas Scott's thinking, well, we're at minus 20. It's still the Antarctic summer. We'll be OK. Yeah. But the weather's got a little bit worse. Mm. But maybe he hasn't. He didn't anticipate for that really bad weather. Whereas it looks like yeah. Amazon's anticipated. It looks like he set something in place in things if things do get really bad. Yeah. Well, that's good, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's obviously a good sort of strategy, yeah. really, isn't it? Yeah. But he... Rather... But, in, but in some ways, it says that Scott was really meticulous. He did tons of planning, but he he didn't he didn't plan for the weather to turn the way it yeah. did. Yeah, no, it probably but didn't then really he couldn't anticipate. That. No, no, that's the thing. Um, yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? It's an amazing but, um, but Sim story. Simpson, the meteorologist, he apparently the the scholars of today say that he'd done a really good job, and he, he couldn't have foreseen that that weather no. was going to turn the way it was going to turn. No, well, why would they? Because they know all these, these spots. Yeah. That's right. And if they'd done the expedition the year before, they probably would have been OK, wouldn't they? Yes. They'd have got yes. back. Because it would have only been like minus 20. It wouldn't have got worse than minus 20. Yeah. So I think it's so when you get into that extreme. Well, the chances are the frostbite might not have kicked in and, mm, you know, mm. It's, um, but it, it does it does uh, come back to the prior planning and preparation prevents piss poor performance, doesn't it? It sort of comes <laughs> back to that, really. Yeah, it does. Uh, yeah, you, that, gotta... you could argue that, you know, Amazon was sort of, um, he, he was a bit scathing, wasn't he, of Scott, saying that he, 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 you need to plan better. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, obviously, yeah. And we look at the social standing, people say that Scott wasn't the type of character that would go and live with an indigenous race. Right. for a period of time in order to learn it yeah, exactly. his yeah. remit of his and it's not just him it's just the culture of the mm, imperial mm. system absolutely yeah you can see you can see yeah that mindset then 
like, it would be very different now, wouldn't it? I guess, hopefully. Yeah. Think. So, so, so basically, you know, um, with all this, I mean, for me, you know, when they got down there and they saw the tent, mm. and they, they see the tent and the letters from you said from from Amundsen, and they see it, they see Polheim as it was called. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely exhausted at that point. You've yeah. got your malnutrition, but you've made it. You've absolutely made it to mm. realise you ain't going to be the first. Mm. And uh, I mean, Shackleton, when he did his failed one, Shackleton went back and was lecturing and doing really yeah. well to pay his debts off. After the first failed trip, he re- he realised that whoever's first is going to be um, set for life. I mean, when, yeah. when Amazon gets back to Tasmania, which is the first stop and lets the right. world know that lets the world know what he's done. Yeah, you know, he's, yeah. He's, he's absolutely made then. Yeah, yeah. But, no, but imagine, for yeah. those guys to have got there and Scott in his diary to say how weary and how gutted they were, he didn't use that word gutted. Yeah, but, as you, you know, say, the famous, the famous photo, isn't there, of them all yeah. standing there. Why is it on some of the photographs with Scott's team that they not all got great big full beards? Well, you, yeah, yeah. Well, your theory. What's your theory on Why? that? Because with Amazon's lot, they're all grown the beards, but you know, because yeah, surely, it keeps surely warm, you're going to have to have that. In uh, maybe I don't know. I don't understand. Maybe there's a reason why. Hmm. I'm, and I'm I'm ignorant to that fact, but I just thought you'd want as much hair everywhere. Yeah, possible. it's a bit of a layer. Some sort of traps the air, doesn't it? And you'd think that would be good insulation, wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't you? But maybe you just thought, look, we're going to have to have a shade for the photo. You know, it's just let's be honest. And the fact that you know everybody, if a sled broke, they that he had. Amazon had people that could could mend the sledge, mend it. Yeah, could yeah. Mend it. They, they were skills. all skilled in 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 that sort of thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's and of it's, course it wasn't until they were all down there that they realised that uh, polar bears, I think, is only appear in the uh, Arctic. The north, yeah. The north and that penguins are the south. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's quite little sort of elementary things, isn't it? That sort of yeah. nobody's actually documented that. No, uh, no. I think it's fascinating the the clothing that when you look at that photo, what the the Scots team are wearing, were they just these? They got like of, a um, rubberized thing. I mean, as I said to you once before, when, when you wear Wellingtons as a kid sledging around, yeah. your feet used to get freezing, even if you had two pairs of socks on with your Wellingtons. Yeah, yeah you lose you lose all and the they've heat. They've just got wool, yeah. wool and rubber. A natural, even a natural, you know, um, garment made of natural materials should be good. Because it should wick the water away, shouldn't it? You wouldn't yeah. want any artificial, man-made things, would you? Yeah. Um, but the, you know, I'm sure they were pretty, pretty good. Because I think, from what I remember, they've got like vests. They've got well, these. Scott, Guernsey, it's awful to, to put him down because he's a hero. Is Scott? He's an absolute hero. I can't. I, but we're just oh, doing yeah. this because I. But you know, not paying attention to have his men being trained in in handling the dogs. You yeah. Know, being properly trained because the dogs were the key to this and the key to yeah. it was he, uh, he learnt from the Inuits fresh food if you can eat fresh food yeah. you won't get these ailments so the only yeah. way to get fresh food is is from the dog yeah you got to bring I think it with he, you he yeah. ended up he was back with 11 dogs he yeah. set out with 52 yeah that's not bad is it yeah yeah I mean it's barbaric it sounds barbaric and cruel but it, that dogs was, stew, yeah, that was is the it? complete way to survive what would they eat? Eat dog stew sort of thing? You just sort of use know. it. But whatever's in the dog 
has enough in them to give them vitamin C, give them vitamin yeah. B, gives yeah. them everything that they need. Yeah. Because there's no other way you can carry fresh food. It has to be live. No. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they did that so, on boats. Did they do that on boat, big boat journeys, whaling? Don't they did know. that on that, yeah. It must be horrible to say, oh, Fido, my beloved dog, you've yeah. brought me all this way. Right, well, well you've only got three legs because we couldn't eat you all at once. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was <laughs> terrible. To... Well, the extrapolation of that thought isn't very good, is it? But uh... I don't know if I'd be any good on these expeditions. I, I don't think, I'm not sure. No, no, I wouldn't I, be up um, for this one. Even in a biology class, I'm looking at this mouse they're cutting up, thinking who his mother and father was. I, yeah. I can't, so I'm you, not like that. I can't yeah. do it. <laughs> you get emotionally, emotionally connected. It's no good. Yeah, no. Well, there's no, well, you notice, well, actually, funny enough, you should say that there's no women on these expeditions, are there? In oh. that, I mean, at that time, would they have brought women to help with, you know, the, or give women the chance of exploring? Well, yeah, you're right. You know, you don't get, um, you know, Florence Nightingale wasn't sort of on the way, you know. No, no, wasn't there. You know, but it's very true. Why not take women as well, as capable as men on all well, these Well, when things? was the suffragette movement and the, and the, the, the getting the vote? Is that, after, that's the 19... After the First World War, they got First the vote. World War, yeah. Suffragette, yes, yeah. One of the things that I thought was um, just doing this study with you was that in April 1912, you know, we said we had adverse weather conditions that Scott had oh, yeah. anticipated. Yeah. Well, in April of 1912, the Titanic hits a huge iceberg. Mm, Maybe mm. that iceberg would have been much smaller had it uh, not yeah. been for um, this weather condition. Yeah. Well, it might have been like... It's all in the yeah. same year, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know if there's any connection. I don't know whether well, you can it, correlate. It would be terrible, wouldn't it, if you'd come back from the Antarctic and you'd made it and you were yeah. Norwegian and you were a hero. And then yeah. you thought, I'll jump on the Titanic and I'll yeah. go to America and tell my story. <laughs> you might never make it. Yeah. Yeah, that would be classic. That would be that would be fantastic, wouldn't it? That is the irony of all these things, isn't it? Like you achieve fame through some amazing thing, and then you you die slipping on a banana skin or something like that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think from all this, from our closing up on this talk, I think that um, yeah. Scott's diaries and Scott's writing, he was a unlike Amazon, it was quite rather morose in his writing quite not not very flowery his disaster was made into a triumph from his writings he, he was yeah it was almost heroic writing yeah he, it is amazing writing. when you read some of it and made you kind him of... A hero out of his disasters i can't and um, because in hindsight you can look at his failings and some people called him inept um, at the end of the day he, he wasn't that far short really they're all intents and purposes he I think he could have done it. You know, he's they're not setting out to kill themselves, are they? You know, no, so of course not. the intention isn't there. Like, you obviously want but to I think succeed. The system, and... I think the system might have contributed as much as anything. The, yeah. the imperialistic system as yeah. well, not just the weather. Yeah, and well, you know, it's the funny. The practicality of Amazon, mm. albeit ruthless and mm. uh, not very sporting, not much, not mm. cricket, really. Um, it is kind of, the, you know, you, you, when you suggest that and it's interesting that that really is the beginning possibly of the aristocracy kind of going down, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. You know? Yes. It's showing that, that um, yeah. a very small nation like Norway can produce these fantastic guys that, that with yeah. just a little bit of uh, gumption and practicality and, and ingenuity they can yeah. they can overcome these things yeah. um, but but scott is a great hero i think anyway i think i think he's a him and his team were a fantastic were great, great hero yeah. 
But from Absolutely. all this, in conclusion, a trip to Mars, I think, OK, mankind, we're ready to go to Mars. You need food depots. In other words, I think you need space stations along the route. Yeah. The way that they have food depots. Going to the South Pole. Mm, mm, they need to mm. learn to do that first. Mm. I think it's ridiculous. We've seen what happened to Scott in the Antarctic. So yeah. This thing's going to happen with a trip to Mars. Yeah. We need space stations en route. Yeah, so it's probably going to be a long time before we really eventually yeah. get to Mars. Which, You're probably which right. basically boils down getting the money. Don't Absolutely, it? yeah. I think it's interesting because you said we're almost we're over 100 years now since this event. But if you think of that as a time frame, like going somewhere like Mars, it's the technology that, well, obviously what you're saying, food stations a kind of is like a low tech way of ensuring you'll get there. Whereas I think what they do now is they concentrate on technology to sort of say, like, how do we recycle everything? So say you've got water, you've got a finite amount of water on the ship going to Mars. It's take five years. Mm. How much of that can be recycled and reused so that you only have to take a certain amount? And all these things are brilliant, these innovations. And they talk about, don't they, when they do these things like NASA, lots of the new things that come out from these experiments to sort of make these journeys frying pans with that teflon and stuff like that they get these innovations don't they i think actually at the end of the day even as much as scott like prepared he didn't he couldn't prepare for the unknown in that that freak weather condition was so difficult if he hadn't had that bad weather that really bad yeah, yeah something else with scott that uh, i think in some of the other food rations that they were carrying um there wasn't any uh, fats with the food with the flake uh, substances that they were carrying, like crackers or whatever they were taking. Um, unlike Amazon, who'd um, understood the necessity of having an awful lot of fat uh, necessary in the, these uh, particular conditions. That's, it's funny, isn't it? We, we come to conclude this talk. I think it's interesting. And that we, we're looking at Mars and we're saying... Exactly. And what, so again, it, what, what it puts down what is the priority for Amundsen? His priority was navigation and being able to mark us so that if you get lost, if there's a blizzard, yes. you can get yourself back on track. What are the priorities for going to somewhere like Mars? I mean, obviously, Mars isn't going to move. Mars is always, well, it's moving, but I mean, obviously, you can move really <laughs> to identify. <laughs> But what are the priorities? The priorities for going to somewhere like Mars are having a crew that can, I don't know, what, what would you put as a priority to sort of, everybody well, must be able to do. I read somewhere about Amundsen where, in fact, one of his uh, expeditions, uh, a crew member died. It wasn't mm -hmm. on that. I don't know where it was. It might have been up in the Northwest Passage. But they said he was his, there was the favourite crew member because yeah. on the night the guy could tell them stories. Right. Oh, yeah. And he was the storyteller of the group. Yeah. Get the morale that, up. Yeah. He says that storyteller of the group every night it was like watching that's what kept everything together get the morale going it wasn't they shackleton wouldn't they keep a banjo didn't they have a banjo or something like that someone said oh, what are you know. bringing that for <laughs> he said well it keeps everybody occupied you know well they maybe have a pipe they can have a bit of tobacco and smoke a yeah. pipe a bit of knitting apparently you yeah. know these people all these sort of things. But, it, but it's just interesting that the Scott probably and Shackleton with those two characters, one was uh, very well liked with the men, Shackleton. Had, he had a little bit of a common touch as well as being yeah. the sea officer, yeah. whereas um, Scott yeah, was helps, very much of the uh, old school. The dynamic, just, isn't it? There's exactly, a dynamic between yeah. people. How does exactly. it work? You know? And of course, if you, in hindsight, would say, well, if you're going to the South Pole in those times, who would you go with, Scott or Amazon? Yeah. Well, you know oh. which one you'd go with, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that type. Yeah, which type yeah, would you go time, with? Yeah. yeah. yeah.
Yeah, you got to have these international space stations, don't you, really? It's what they do now, isn't it? Do exactly. They? If, if they've got those en route, yeah, yeah. Then, then that's the most sensible thing to do. Yeah, having a stopping off point. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Okay, well, that's been okay. a great, great discussion. Very, yeah, very, it's good. Fascinating. Very philosophical. Yeah. I'm glad this yeah. one's over with because I'm feeling cold just thinking about it. I know. It's cold. <laughs> if you ask me where you want to go and explore, the, that is the last place I want to go and Absolutely. explore. All right, RJ. I'll catch okay. you later. Great stuff. Cheers, Harpo. Yeah, bye. Thanks to RJ as ever for his contribution to the pod. He clearly channels our thinking early on in the podcast by drawing on the idea and comparison of going to Mars. The two teams of explorers, Norway's captain Roald Engelbert Grevening Amundsen and Britain's captain Robert Falcon Scott, and all their men were tough, tenacious and brave. What have we learnt from all these great men? Well, when tragedy strikes, as in the case of Scott, fighting to the bitter end, still has the foresight to leave an account of his exploits and praises his team. A man who clearly understood the value of scientific research and a legacy that stirs the dogged spirit in all of us. From Amundsen, clearly the ability to be practical, resourceful and to adapt. Scott's downfall was to some extent the unpredictable weather. However, perhaps the British imperial system as a whole had a part to play. If we look at these great men, and then bring ourselves to the 21st century and trips to Mars, it shows that the best outcome is bringing all nations together as one. Together, mankind is better placed to forge ahead and boldly go where no man has been before for curiosity and the future of mankind.